Welcome to Practical Christian Living. It's very, very hard to commit the real blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because the first thing that you have to have to be able to commit it is a lot of information. That's why I tell people from time to time, if you're just playing games, you don't really want to serve God, and you're just coming to church because whatever your reason is, stop it. Don't the come here anymore. The more you know about sin and because God's you're Word, here, you're the more be accountable you'll be on that day you stand before God. We are continuing our teaching today on the unforgivable sin and what Jesus has to say in Matthew 12, 22 through 37. Sin might not be a favorite topic in churches today, but we want to know what Jesus says about it and how we, as children of God, are to bring our sin before Him to be cleansed. Stay with us. Here's Robert Furrow. This is an amazing miracle. They knew this man was blind. They knew he was mute. They knew he was possessed. They knew he acted weird. And now he's in his sound mind. Now he's healed. Now he can see. Now he can talk. And they're amazed. And the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? This is key to our text. Could this be the son of David? Who is the son of David? Messiah. Yeah, that's who the son of David is. That's the Messiah. That's a reference. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the son of David? They are now, these signs are there so that they will recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They are now recognizing Jesus as the Messiah and the crowd is at the verge of receiving him as their Messiah. Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they heard the people say, saying, could this be the son of David? They said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. The Canaanites, the Syrians, the Hittites, all worshipped Baals. Baals were the general word for gods that they had. It was like the Roman word for gods. It was the plural. Israel worshipped God. We worship God. They worshipped Baals. There was Baal Marduk. There was Baal Molech. There was Baal Zebub. Beelzebub is called the Lord of the Flies. Quite literally, it is the Lord of Putrefaction. Who's going to worship the God of, of Putrefaction? And there's flies everywhere. It's crazy. But he's not the ruler of demons. Notice they say the ruler of demons. But when you go back and study the Assyrian God Beelzebub, he's not their chief God. There's other gods that are considered higher than him. So they take Beelzebub and they, they, they're making an insult to Jesus. You're casting out demons by putrefaction. The ruler of demons. So they're renaming Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub. This is an Assyrian God that they are now saying is the ruler of demons who is Lucifer. So they've renamed him and they're saying that Jesus is possessed by Lucifer. And they're making an insult by using Beelzebub that Jesus is full of putrefaction. Point they're making. It's pretty strong. But Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, and can I be, I, I want to just be, I, I'm just going to say it. Here, here's what Jesus could have said to these guys. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You're telling me demons are casting out Demons that I'm running around as a demon casting out demons. 
It makes no sense. Why would demons cast out demons? They're working together to possess people, to control them, to do the work they want to do. Listen to Jesus who says it in a much nicer way. Verse 26. Nevertheless, he is saying it. He says, excuse me, verse 25. But Jesus knew their thoughts said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to, to desolation. And every city and house divided against itself will not stand. Demons cast out demons. They're fighting against themselves. If Satan cast out Satan, notice that Jesus now makes the connection to Beelzebub and Satan. They knew they were calling him the ruler of demons, which is Satan, not the, the Canaanite Assyrian, or excuse me, yeah, the Assyrian God Beelzebub. And so he says, if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself and his kingdom will not stand. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? He says, you've got exorcists here who by the power of Yahweh are casting out demons. And, and if I'm doing it by Beelzebub, who do they cast them out by? You believe them, but you won't believe me when I've done all of these great works. It's two pretty good points. Therefore, they shall be your judges. These ones among you who have things right enough with the living God to prior to Jesus on the cross were able to cast demons out, they're going to be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, then surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is what you're denying. The kingdom of God has come upon you. They were uniquely in a position. These Pharisees were uniquely in a position to identify the Messiah. Pharisees knew the scriptures. They weren't like the Sadducees that denied the power of the scriptures. Pharisees knew the scriptures. They believed them. They were looking for the Messiah. They interpreted the scriptures literally, like you and I interpret them. Whenever we can take the scriptures literally, we do. We know there's times when we can't and we don't, right? Because God's given us a mind. We can tell, oh, he's talking about a chair. It must be a chair. Oh, he's talking about the chair in the clouds. That must be something different than a literal chair. We, we can think those things through, and he knew that. But these guys are now in the midst of this. They don't know what to do. We're losing this argument. We're trying to tell people that this isn't the Messiah, and you shouldn't be following him, and we're losing it. So what are we going to do? Well, he's, he's doing it by demons. Have, have you ever gotten to an argument with someone about Christ? And they don't know, they don't know any of the, the evidence that you know. They don't know manuscript evidence. They don't know archaeological evidence. They don't know the accuracy of Scripture in the Old Testament when it comes to geography, when it comes to historic events. And again, I, when it comes to archaeology, discovering, you know, the city of Gath where it said that it was, and even a cup that had the name Goliath written on it. I don't know that they found Goliath's cup, by the way. It'd be awesome if that's what they did, the actual Goliath David killed. But the fact that there is a city of Gath and that there was a piece of pottery with Goliath found on it, look it up. If only we had some way we could type stuff into something and device and find this information out on our own. Look it up. It's amazing. But I'm talking with someone and I'm telling them about the reliability of the Bible and how amazing it is. And they're throwing back to me, they're throwing back to me their arguments that are not even thought through. They want to act like I'm open-minded and I have great intellect to be able to tell you. And they're throwing back ad hoc arguments. They're just like, well, it was tampered with. You're, 
The Old Testament was tampered with. Yeah, those prophecies about Jesus were never in the Old Testament. Well, how come they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls that had Book of Isaiah that was dated to 200 years before the time of Christ and all those things were in there? Well, well they, though they knew it and they wrote about Jesus fulfilling them. They're just off the top of their mind. They're coming up with these arguments. They can't come up with anything that makes any sense. I would respect them a lot more if they said, really? Psalms 22 is about a crucifixion a thousand years before crucifixion? Let me look that up. Now, I don't want them to go and look at a YouTube video against Psalms 22. They've, I've had that happen before. They come back and they start telling me what they found. And I'm like, hey, I know what video you watched. Because I watched the same video. Because I want to know. I want to know the truth. And if I'm not believing the truth, I want to know it. And if somebody brings up an argument to me that I can't answer, I don't just throw back something off the top of my head. I want to go look it up. I will say, good point. That's a good point. I need to look that up. But I can't tell you how I many people I've argued with that will never say that. They will never say, really? The Old Testament is geographically accurate? It's accurate with archaeology? The book of Daniel brings up kings that people didn't even know were kings until like 100 years ago. They used to criticize Daniel as not being accurate because Belshazzar was brought up. They used to say Belshazzar wasn't a king until they found a discovery about 100 years ago that they found a clay tablet that mentioned Belshazzar. Daniel lived in a time, they should say, that's a good point, I need to look that up. But they don't want to. You know when you're winning an argument with these guys, by the way, because eventually they say something like, well, well, well Christians are just stupid. Well, Christians don't believe in science, they'll say. You know when they call you names, you, you are winning the argument because they can't say anything else now. They're just at a loss. They won't do the research. They won't educate themselves to get on the same playing field you're on. You have the information. They don't have it. And so it would be like me arguing with the professor about evolution and they're bringing up points and I'm going, that's just dumb. You realize, hey, I, let me, you know, why not say good point? Huh, that's an interesting point. Let me go look it up. Let me go see. Let me go really look into it because that's the way we should be. Now, can you see that these guys right now are just insulting Jesus? Jesus is, it's, it's evident he's the Messiah. It's so evident they know it that they're just like, you have a demon. You have Beelzebub. You're casting out, that's all they're doing. This is not a genuine argument. They don't have anything to back this up. This is just an argument that's coming off the top of their head. But it's a very dangerous argument because it shows that they are resisting, 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 but they have a unique position in which they have a lot of light. They have a lot of information. It's very, very hard to commit the real blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because the first thing that you have to have to be able to commit it is a lot of information. That's why I tell people from time to time, if you're just playing games, you don't really want to serve God and you're just coming to church because whatever your reason is, stop it. Don't come here anymore because what you're learning here, you're going to be judged by God on. You're gaining light. You're gaining truth. And the more truth you gain, the closer you get to be able to make a rejection here and now. See, that's the same thing in, in Hebrews chapter 6. It gives a list. 
these people tasted of heavenly gifts. That gives that list of, of this light they had. You have to be like the Pharisees to be able to commit this sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You got to have all that information. They had all of this information. They knew Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't want it because he wasn't one of them and he spoke against them. He had become an enemy to them because of they were corrupt to the core. Outside they looked good, but the inside was full of dead men's bones. And so they were coming up with anything they could come up with. And because they had that unique light, they were very, very close now to God saying, I'm done with you. You haven't died and your window is closed. I'm going to close that window while you're still alive. That's scary. He goes on to say then in verse, um, in verse 29, or how can you enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless you first bind the strong man? Jesus says, you think demons are casting out demons? That's really what you think is going on? My words, that's stupid. Okay, not Jesus's. Jesus didn't say that to him. My words, that's stupid. It's a stupid argument. But then Jesus says, I'll tell you what's really going on. Is that someone stronger than the strong man is binding him to plunder his goods. Jesus is the stronger than the strong man and he just binded a spirit that had to set his goods free, this man who was blind and mute. And Jesus just took care of it. Jesus is saying, you call me a demon, I'm stronger than a demon. That's who I am. And that's why when we confront something that we feel is demonic and it's all around us, we don't say things like, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Or I rebuke you. People say, well, I have authority as a Christian, so I can say I rebuke you. Hey, Michael the archangel, when contending over the body of Moses in the book of Jude, would not even say the Lord rebuke you to Satan. Wouldn't, no, wouldn't say I rebuke you, but said the Lord rebuke you. First of all, another weird verse. Am I right? Michael the archangel and Lucifer fighting over the body of Moses? You know, it's like God had a plan for the body of Moses to be walking around Jerusalem for three and a half years or something. But it is strange, right? But Michael didn't say, I rebuke you. Michael will one day whoop him. One day God will say, go get him, Michael. Come on. <laughs> Michael's just like, finally, bring it. <laughs> you know, let's go. They're all ready to throw down. And, and Michael wins. But Jesus is saying to them, you call me a demon, casting out demons, but I'm stronger than a demon. You want to plunder a man's goods, you get someone stronger to go and take his goods, and I'm stronger than a demon. That's pretty powerful. Pretty powerful stuff. And then he says, he who is not with me is against me. And I tell him, you're not with me. And if you're not with me, you're against me. And you who does not gather with me scatters. I'm gathering here, and you guys are scattering. You just scattered a bunch of these people here by what you said. Therefore, I say to you, every sin of blasphemy will be forgiven men. That's what I talked about before. What's not the sin of blasphemy? But blasphemy against the Spirit will be forgiven men. And of course, we go, well, what is that? So it gives us more details. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. He just wants to make sure you know. Not now and not then. Why? Because they can be alive now and they've crossed the line. So here's what's happening with these guys. They have all of this light. In order to commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you have to have all this information. It's very unique. You've got to have all this information about who the Messiah is, who God is, what God's doing. You've got to know a lot. And there are people today who are alive who could do it. I believe the pastors could do it. 
I believe that if I all of a sudden started rejecting Jesus after all the light and all the understanding that I have, that I could commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The person that I'm arguing with that doesn't understand anything, and they're just throwing me back, well, maybe, maybe somebody tampered. The Old Testament wasn't written until 400 years later, somebody told me one time. I'm like, I don't even, I don't even want to talk to you because you don't even know what you're talking about. We've got a passage of Scripture that dates back to somewhere between 90 and 125. We've got a manuscript of John, a piece of John about the crucifixion of Jesus, by the way, that dates back to the first century and maybe early second, which is 125. And you tell me we don't have the Bible till 400 years later? That person cannot commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I want to be nice. They don't have enough information. <laughs> I was going to say something else. They don't have enough information. They just don't have enough. They don't have enough light. They haven't been enlightened enough. They can't reject God because they don't know. They're not willing to know. They don't want to know. They don't want to know any of that. They're just, yeah, no, no. These guys don't know anything about what they're talking about. They can't commit it. But if you have a lot of light, you can. And that's where it's scary. So if you think you've committed it, like the girl who came to me when I was a youth pastor with Hebrews 4 open, tears in her eyes, and she said, I think I've committed the unforgivable sin. And I said, do you want to come back? And she said, yes. I said, you haven't committed it then. Because look, at, read it again. It says it's impossible to bring you back to repentance. And all of a sudden she began to see that. She couldn't commit the unpardonable sin. She was 15 years old and was just beginning a relationship with Christ and had not been given enough information yet. She couldn't commit it. It's a very unique set of circumstances. You have to uniquely have a bunch of information and then because you want your own power or you, you, you're, something's going to be, you deny it for whatever reason, now you could commit that. Again, I think it's different than the sin unto death, but maybe it's the same. Who knows? We don't, have, we don't have enough information with that. So let me summarize by saying the sin, the unforgivable sin, is when you have enough information to know that Jesus is the Messiah and that it is true, and you reject it, knowing it. The evidence is before you, like Jesus doing the miracles for these guys, all the evidence they had, and you reject it, and you reject it, and you reject it, if you die, you would be too late, but you don't die, but you rejected it one too many times. And now God goes, done. You cannot be saved. This person isn't going to turn around and go, well, I want to be, well, forgive me, God. He's not going to do that. It's not like there are people out there saying, Lord, please forgive me. And God's like, not you, buddy. The Bible says anyone calls out on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Anybody here who calls out on the name of the Lord, you can be saved. You might say, well, I knew God. I knew all about God. I understood it all very well. And then I walked away. It doesn't matter. If you want to come back, you can come back. The person who's done this doesn't want to come back. Impossible to renew them to repentance. The person goes, I don't want to come back. Again, my little skit in the beginning of the study. Well, that's not fair. Well, then repent. I don't want to. Well, then maybe you committed it, right? Well, that's not fair. Well, then come back. Well, I don't want to. Well, then maybe you could, right? I mean, it's like that person has crossed that line. So I just want to give you confidence that you haven't committed it. Very, very rare. Very rare. Only two times spoken of in, on all of the pages of Scripture. It's four times, but three of them are the same incident in the Gospels. It's very rare. However, maybe I am talking to someone who has enough light. Maybe I am talking to someone who has received enough information. 
Maybe I'm talking to somebody that God has gone out of his way to reveal to you that he is the truth and you know it, like these Pharisees and scribes knew it. But for some reason, you don't want to follow. And you may be in danger of crossing that invisible line. Nevertheless, it is a real line where you will no longer want to ever be saved. That's the warning. And Jesus is warning these guys. And they do it. How do we know they do it? Because in the next couple chapters, maybe even the next chapter, it says that Jesus began to speak to them in parables. And when the disciples say, why have you stopped talking to the crowds plainly and you're talking in parables now? And Jesus says, because in hearing, they will not hear. And in, in learning, they will not learn. They will not understand, lest they turn from their sins and repent. So Jesus is saying, they've gone too far. They did it. I think he's warning them here. But maybe they were right at that line and they crossed it. And now they, they can't get saved. These, these Pharisees can't be saved. They've gone too far. You say, well, what about Joseph of Arimathea? He wasn't one of them. He might have been there standing among them, but remember, people are judged by their own heart, not as a group. Joseph of Arimathea, although he was a Pharisee, although he was part of the Sanhedrin, he wasn't one of them. Nicodemus wasn't one of them. He was one of them, but he wasn't one of them because he received Jesus. He was there taking care of the body of Jesus. He was a, he was a secret disciple, Joseph of Arimathea. What about people who, um, who maybe have committed this sin? Old Testament, Saul. Bible came to a place where God wouldn't even talk to King Saul. Remember that? Saul tried to talk to God and God wouldn't talk to him. Finally, he went to a witch in the end. And, and Samuel, God allows Samuel to be raised up by this witch. And Samuel's like, what are you doing, dude? Why are you bringing me up here? You're going to die today, he tells him. You're going to die today. What's going to happen to you? In the New Testament, Judas. How much light did Judas have? Right? We're talking about a unique situation where we have all this light. Judas had all these, these teachings, all this light about Jesus. He saw all these miracles. And Jesus said to Judas, go and do what you do quickly. What does the Bible say? And Satan entered him. No wonder he couldn't repent. I think he committed the unforgivable sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Peter denied, maybe would have even have said something like if somebody said, well, you were there when he healed. Maybe he would have said, I don't believe he healed him. Maybe he would have said something like that. Because in his fear of thinking he was going to die, he denies Jesus, but he doesn't commit the unforgivable sin like Judas does. So we could talk about other examples that you might think you may be able to think of others in the Bible that may have crossed this. But here this stands for a very real purpose as a warning against something that is very rare, nevertheless can happen. And I've hoped I've done two things today in this study. Number one, if you think you've committed this sin and you haven't, you know it now. You're like, I just need to repent. And any sin, any blasphemy can be forgiven. Number two, if you're that unique individual that has a lot of light and God's gone out of his way to call you and show you and draw you and you rejecting and rejecting and rejecting that you may be in danger. There may be a warning for you that you need to hear. Once we understand that, we, we begin to see who's really in danger and we want to make sure you know that. It happens. I think it still happens today. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for what the Bible talks about when it talks about the unforgivable sin. Thank you that we can get knowledge as to what it is and what it's about. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us these truths. And as we gain more and more light, as we know more and more knowledge, I pray that we would be receptive and believing what we are reading and not 
come up with dumb reasons why we don't believe. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kagan 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.